So this morning, um, I know that Eric had mentioned, uh, for those of you who don't know, our, our church family right now, we're mourning. Um, on Friday around noon, Sarah Kelly was in a dirt bike accident, and he did not survive. So we are a family who is mourning. And you know, psychology talks a lot about the stages of grief. And, you know, the word of God is so clear that we should mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. And, you know, grief is a very, very personal thing. And I've already talked to several of you who feel guilty because you're mourning Thayer's passing because you didn't really necessarily know him. It's okay. The Bible says we are supposed to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And sometimes when we bear those burdens and when we lift up the Kelly family in this time of tragedy in their lives, We are fulfilling the law of Christ because that is the most loving thing we can do is to pray for them and tangibly reach out to them in whatever way we can and for each one of us to be able to feel free to go through the mourning process in whatever way we need to. I know that that we're probably, a lot of us are still in the denial phase. This, This just can't be real. He's supposed to be sitting back there on the camera. There are probably those of us, like myself included, who we go through anger. It's okay. This morning I was just so angry. I'm not angry at God. But I'm angry at the situation. And we're going to be depressed. And that's okay. And we're going to try the bargaining. And each one of us is going to go through it the way we have to go through it. And I just want to give you permission. Even if you didn't know Thayer, if you, didn't, if you don't know the Kelly family, it hits close to home for any of us who have children. And so it's okay to mourn. It's okay to grieve. We don't have to have guilt about that or survivor's guilt. But this is a a time to reconcile your relationships. It's a wake-up call. That whatever grievances you hold against one another, this is a good time to let those things go, to reconcile your relationships, to forgive, to overlook offenses. And so this morning we do have communion set up in the back, and um, I'm just going to release you to go and just take communion. But the reason we take communion is to remember the body 
of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was poured out so that we could be forgiven, so that our sins could be covered. And that's why I said, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve for the, for the Kelly family. Like Eric said this morning, Thayer, Thayer knows a lot more about the Lord right now than any of us do. And Thayer loved Jesus. And you could see it. You could see the change in him when he became a man of God. You could see it in his face. And he's in the presence of the Lord, so he's good. But the rest of us, we need to surround the Kelly family at this time. Even though we can still rejoice in the Lord and celebrate what God has done. So the communion is in the back. And as I said, you know, this is a time for you to reconcile your relationships. Jesus forgave us for everything. If you have bitterness, I I strongly suggest that you reconcile in your own heart. Don't take communion until you've resolved to forgive and to receive the forgiveness of the Lord. So I'm just going to pray, and then I just, I just um, welcome you to go back and just help yourself. Father, we come into your presence, Lord, knowing that it is not because of our righteousness, Lord. It's not because we've done everything right. It's not because we have our act together. But it's because of what you did for us on the cross. Lord, we're so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful that we can be reconciled with our maker and that we can someday hope to stand in your presence and worship you, God. And we look to you, Lord, and we're grateful for that hope. Our hope is in the cross, Lord. Our hope is not in our own abilities. And Lord, right now, Lord, just as you taught us to pray, we forgive others. Lord, we forgive them their sins against us. We forgive others their transgressions against us, even as we ourselves have been forgiven for our sins and our transgressions, Lord. And so, Lord, as we take communion this morning, we thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your one and only Son. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why don't we start with, we'll start with the front row over there, and you guys just go ahead as I continue talking. Um, You know, typically we have announcements during this time, um, but I just, this morning we're just going to forego that. I just encourage you, if you have a bulletin, just check the bulletin, and if If you're not on the adventure update, maybe sign up for that back at the Connect desk. The Connect desk is right out, just to the left, right as you leave. You know, I remember when um, Rachel Kligman passed away. And today is, is her birthday, like Eric mentioned. And I remember... Sometimes I would wake up in the middle of the night just weeping and praying for their family. 
And I'd call Corinne and I'd say, for those of you who don't know, Rachel Kligman uh, passed away five years ago. She was 12 years old and she was hit by a car. And I remember that I would call her mom and I'd say, I was up all night praying for you. Are you okay? She'd say, oh, I slept through the whole night. It was great. And that's when we learned the lesson of the importance of bearing one another's burdens. And that's what, that's what the Kellys need right now. That's really what they need. And Eric's going to bring a really great message today out of John 14. And um, I know the Lord has been meeting us in our time of need, and I know that he's going to meet our entire church family in, in our time of need. So just to encourage you, just press into him now during this time. Also, um, we typically, we uh, usually pass the basket for the first fruits, but this morning I'm just going to encourage you, there's a little box right there as you, as you leave this morning. Give unto the Lord as an act of faith. You know, what, you know what we teach about giving. We honor the Lord with our giving. It's an act of worship. So there's a box right back there by the communion table. So go ahead and just give there. And uh, Eric, you want to come on up? I'm going to talk about today is in John 14. Many of you people might know it. Thank you, Christian. Um, it's a it's a song or it's a it's a section of scripture where Jesus is in the upper room. Um, with his disciples, and he's basically heading toward his death. Um, and they don't know that. They don't realize that. And Peter, with whatever knowledge he had of it, um, some of you might remember some of those scriptures, would have tried to stop him if he was going to do this. If he was going to allow himself to be crucified uh, by the by, the Pharisees at that time. One of the things that always blows me away about this scripture that's do not let your hearts be troubled, and I really felt like the Lord wanted me to preach on this today, not just because of the situation that we're walking through, but I really felt like it was just a divine appointment. 
is that Jesus knew his disciples well. He knew everything about them. You know? He knew everything about them and he knew their weaknesses and I think it's really encapsulated in that scripture in John 14 and in the communion that we're taking. One of the things that you can, that you can give yourself comfort in is what does this represent? This is Jesus' body. Amen? If you ever wonder if you're saved or not and if you're good enough just take communion. Amen? Because the minute you lift this bread up, you're going to realize that the faith is all about, and I realize many of you have already taken it, but I'm going to take it right now, is, is that this, this represents his body, that his body that was broken for me, that he came in the flesh. He came in reality. And, you know, as I eat the bread, and as you eat the bread, if you haven't taken it already, this is his body. It's not a... It's not a food I'm eating. This is a remembrance of his body. I'm absorbing his salvation and deliverance that he's brought to me. It's not physically his body. It represents it. It's, it's without yeast. There's no sin in this body. And I can eat it and say, this perfect body, this perfect life died for me. And how do I know it? It's because the blood was spilt out for me. The pure blood of Christ. And I take it and I realize that his blood was poured out for my sins. How many think this is really good news? How much of me is involved in this except for being the recipient of its grace, of its power? That's it. I'm all I am as a recipient. There's no religious act up here. This is just thank you, Lord, for your blood. Thank you for your body that was poured out for me. Welcome to Christianity 101. Amen? Amen. And Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd make it come alive. Let it meet us in our situation, our personal lives. And um, I thank you uh, for your great power. In Jesus' name. Do I hear amen? As I was saying, Jesus knew his disciples. He had relationship with him. And one of the things that you're going to get out of this is you're going to see how comfortable that these disciples, although they knew that he was God in the flesh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that he, this Word became flesh, and he dwelt with his disciples. And this incredible, powerful, gifted, they saw miracles, they saw all kinds of things from Jesus. He's going to sit with them in a round table, so to speak, and he's going to be able to give them answers. Like They're going to feel comfortable to ask him any kind of question at all. Like If you're in front of a powerful, intimidating leader that way, chances are that you're probably going to go, well, you know, is it okay if I ask this question? And they, the, the familiarity and the comfort and the relationship in discipleship become so familiar that you can just go, I can ask anything I want. Don't you think life ought to be like that? Where you can ask God any question that you have. And God is ready to answer it. I can't imagine how many questions I've asked God and that he's answered. I mean, he was their teacher, he was their mentor, but he had now 
officially said in this ch- in this chapter that that they were friends, and I, I always think that's profound. That Jesus, after the three years, calls them friend. I think a lot of times we come to Christ and we just kind of go, "Well, now I'm a friend of God," and it's true, we are a friend with God, but not in the truest sense of a friendship. Because it, the three years after he walked with them, he looked at them and he goes, you don't need to call me teacher right now. He says, because now you know the master's business. You know what I'm about. You know the whole thing. You know what's going on. He says, now you're a friend. We're partners. We're in this together. How many want to be a partner with God? Isn't that, isn't that a great privilege to be a partner with God? I feel sorry for those struggling in religion because in religion, you're always trying to get better. You're trying to get God to like you. But with Christ, with the real relationship with God, the cross makes you in relationship with God instantly because he pays for your sins. God is not counting your morning sins or your last night's sins against you. He may be convicting you of them to bring deliverance. But he is not counting them against you in any judgment sense. You are a free man. He whom the Son sets free is free what? Indeed. Indeed. And so I call this uh, the promise of peace, and I kind of go through it. I'm going to read the scripture. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It's John 14, 1. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going, Thomas said to him. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. How many think this is a pretty powerful scripture? This is really good. You know, I led a, a, a Muslim to Christ in Europe in front of his mosque with that scripture. I, I just, I, I literally just, I read him the scripture and the spirit of God fell on him. And, you know, especially when I was reading, I said, anyone has seen me has seen the Father. And it's like when I was reading that to him, the Lord seemed to like that scripture. Because right when I started saying that scripture, I could feel God's presence touching this man. And and him breaking down before God, and there was nothing he could do about it. That's what I love about the power of God. It's overwhelming. And um, let's, let's just start with number one, and that in this, Jesus gives peace. 
There's a great word there. It's just me in, in the Greek. And we translate it, do not let. But it's really just one word, me. In Greek, I love a lot of times when you, you study the Greek, um, there's what they call the Greek apparatus, which helps construct the sentence. And it shows you how to interpret so you can't just take the, the word and just translate it. It has to fit in the apparatus in the way that it does according to the construction of the sentence. But it says here, do not let your hearts be troubled. That word me, it's like, it, it's, it means literally absolutely not. It, it, it almost, the English sometimes can rob it because if I say, hey, don't let that happen, okay? You know, it, it almost sounds kind of like, yeah, you just don't let your hearts get troubled. He's trying to tell them there are situations that are coming that are going to be overwhelming. And that word me there, it's just like, it's absolutely don't. Let your heart go the route of despair. We mourn with those who mourn. Yes, mourning is scripture. You know, some, some of you saw the movie, um, um, what was the one about sadness? Um, Inside Out. We talked about how important sometimes grief is. I thought it was really well done. And, and, and I thought, thought, absolutely not. It also means not just absolutely not. It's a marker that negates the statement. That's the other definition of it. That's it's, it's secondary. It's a marker. Like, don't go this route. You, your heart's going to be stirred. You, you may be in mourning, but don't go down to troubling. Don't let this be a troubling area in your soul. You know, <laughs> do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You know, I've, I've had a, a time recently, and I, I loved my father. But my father was very physical with me. And when we have all these scriptures about, you know, the Father's got many rooms and he's going to come to you, it stirs up sometimes your own relationship with your father. And even though there is absolutely was no bad blood with me and my father, we talked everything out, you know, um, and, and I believe, you know, God totally reconciled our heart. There were some things that he did when we were younger that still stuck with me physically, one one specific thing was my dad would always grab me by the back of my neck or my hair or 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 whatever he can and he would drag me across the house and it it would happen it would be I'd be at the park or I'd be at the grocery store or something like that and wham he'd grab me and just just pull me um and 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 I got to a place in my life where I just said I don't want anyone touching me like, you don't touch me. You don't just walk up and touch me. And, and I, could, I could just tell, you know, when the Lord starts to deliver you in these things, you're, you're thinking, okay, I can hug somebody else or I can do that. But, and, and the Lord's saying, one day I'm looking for that, you know, even with God, when's God going to come up and drag me somewhere? When, when is he going to take me someplace to show me his disapproval that I'm not following along quite well enough. And I look at a room this size, there, there's all kinds of people that have sometimes relationship with God or with their parents, whether it's good or negative or somewhere in between. And those things will affect how we sometimes look at the Lord. And that, this is why I love the scripture because this is three years into it. That, that first year, Peter's putting curses on himself. And, you know, even toward the end, he's going, man, I'm deny-. he denies the Lord in front of everybody. 
I mean, he just, you know, aren't you glad Peter's in the Bible? You know, because you're going, man, it's like Peter's like, if there's one guy who just blows it all the time, it's Peter. And yet, Jesus has this deep relationship with Peter. And have you read First and Second Peter? They're incredibly intense books. You know, he got his stuff together. God got a hold of him and he changed him. But look how emphatic this is. These trials and tribulations will come. Despair, times of discouragement, when you're in a relationship that you hoped would go one way and it didn't, or whatever happened, a relationship, or the loss of a loved one. It could be like the Kellys now where, you know, it's a son or a daughter, or it could be, you know, a spouse or even a parent or a sibling. And it's kind of like Jesus is saying, absolutely not. Don't go to the place of of the troubling heart. Don't go there. How many say amen? Amen. Don't be stuck in the turmoil. We have the option of taking it to the Lord. We can cast our cares on the Lord. And the trust here isn't just trust God. There's a God out there. That's not good enough. It's not good enough to just have God out there. Trust in God. He's saying, trust also in me. What I've done, what I will do, you will see this time fulfilled and you'll see that all your, all your sins have been washed away. Trust in God. Say it with me. Say, trust also in me. This is what Jesus says. Trust in God. And in our culture today, I have to say, people are so unimpressed with Jesus Christ. They really are. You know, they say the name of Jesus Christ in vain. They don't even know why they're using his name. They don't use the name Muhammad. No offense. They don't use the name Joseph Smith. People never curse those names. You notice that? You know, people don't say all this and all that. It's always Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's hilarious to me. You, You watch the movie and all of a sudden you see some swearing come out. And I go, they don't even recognize that they're cursing a name that they don't understand. I've seen science fiction movies where there's, there's, they're not even related, there's no earth, and they still curse Jesus Christ. And I'm going, why would you curse Jesus Christ in a science fiction movie on a different planet? Right? Because they don't know any better. They were trying to, the, the writer was thinking to himself, let's just try to make this as realistic. What do we always curse? Yeah, Jesus Christ, that's right. There we go. Right? And then every once in a while they throw him a middle name, as if he had a middle name. You know, to make it more emphasis. But you know why people don't respect Jesus Christ? It's because they look at him in an earthly way. They say, okay, you know what? Yeah, Jesus fed the 5,000. That's nice. What a good, what a good Samaritan. Uh, you know, he did a couple miracles. He changed, you know, I think he maybe changed, but, you know, we can probably explain those naturally. And they just look at him from a worldview. But how many of you here have encountered the spirit of Jesus Christ? Come on. There is a big difference. There's a big difference when you encounter God himself. And you sense his power. You know, talking to Lee on the phone and just going, he goes, man, he goes, I absolutely know that my son is in the presence of God, but I'm just going to miss him. And I could tell, it's, tell there's, a, there's a measure of the Lord that he got from the Lord. And that's what happens. God fills what you don't have. 
And not only that, but he can comfort you and walk with you and let you know that he knows you in a way that, that can't happen any other way. It's not a worldly peace. And Jesus has a saying about peace. He says, don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. God is, Jesus is saying, I didn't come here to make everything right from a worldly perspective. It's going to keep going. But the peace is a kingdom peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. You know, that peace comes in the form of the Holy Spirit who is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's the one, he's the comforter. He's the one that dwells inside. It's it's when you pray and and things aren't going quite right and all of a sudden you get that overwhelming sense of not just sadness and your own mortality of grieving because sometimes that can just be ending turmoil but grieving with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And what does it do? What does it bring? And I love this sentence and this line. He says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do you ever feel like that, that the world always wants something from you? Somebody always wants something from you. It's not one thing, it's another. It's like, thanks for that, now I want some more. He goes, I'm not going to take it back. Drugs are like that. You... Any druggies here besides me? Anybody else? Any druggies? Yeah. Hi, guys. No, we're not going to do a bong later, but good to see you. We, we, we know what we're talking about, right? Can I tell you guys something? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You get this peace, and you go, thank God. And I used to shoot up, and I'd go, <gasps> and then guess what? Hour and a half, two hours later, I need more. And guess what? The peace never lasts. Oh, it's intense. It's physical. It's the flesh. It affects my mind even. But spiritually, I'm still dead. It doesn't bring the lasting. But when I have comfort by the Holy Spirit of God, it lasts. There is no comparison. How many say amen? Amen. Amen. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He's going to say that in the last part there. So Jesus gives peace. How many say amen? Amen. Okay, and Jesus speaks truth. Now, this is Jesus speaking truth in this passage. In my Father's house are many rooms, okay? If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, if there was a limit here, if there wasn't enough room for you, I would have let you know. I would have just told you out. Jesus says very often, "I, I tell you the truth. And then he, he just speaks it right out. In my father's house. He's not, he's not talking about the house that, you know, we go to heaven somewhere and it's some planet really far away and this house sort of emerges and we see a cool porch and we go, I always wanted that kind of porch. It's so cool. You know, I wanted that's the picket fence and the, I wanted it white with these rainbows. No, it's not that. He's talking about an abode, a dwelling that is not... In the phys- it's not subject to the decay and corruptibility of time and space and its effect that we experience. We, it's hard living in time and space. You can't imagine except for a concept that's up there. It's like saying God is awesome. Well, what does that mean? I don't know, but it's, it's better than me. And it's really incredible. Well, describe it. How is he awesome? He knows everything. How about that? 
Like I can come up with all kinds of attributes, but until you've experienced God, and any of us who have experienced God, and I have in great ways, trust me, little Thayer right now is experiencing him in a way I've never experienced. It's just, just the way that it is. In my Father's house are many rooms. It's not just like a room. That word there is places to reside. God's saying, in my place, in a transcendence place, there's lots of places to live. Amen? God is saying there's a lot of places that, you know, I mean, nothing more frustrating where you get to heaven and God goes, you know, just go down the hall and go left. And what's there? And they go, that will be your room. (laughs) Number 224. You get in there, there's a cot there, some bread, some peanut butter, and some popcorn, and a DVR. Welcome to heaven. I'll see you later. It's not like that. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't. Absolutely not. Let me mark out a big no. Me. No. A negative. Don't let it be troubled. Wherever you go, your security is set. And I'm the way to get there. I'm the way to get there. I'll get you there. There's many rooms. There's a lot of room. There's a lot of places to live up there in my father's house. If it weren't so, I would have told you. You know, uh, you know, the, uh, some people have, uh, you know, ca- kind of took a hold of First uh, Corinthians, where Paul says, "I was caught up in a third heaven, which is Father's house." And uh, some religions, you know, in error, have taken that and said, "Well, these different layers of heaven." That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that we, everyone, experiences the heaven or the atmosphere that we live in. You know, it's our it's our internal atmosphere, and everyone can see as the night sky comes in. The, 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 and this is spoken all throughout the history of man, you know, from Galileo's time and way before, where they would see as the stars, as the nighttime came, and, and from the sun blinding everything, now you could see the stars, and you can see, wow, there's a, there's a whole universe, and we've seen that universe in a larger way than we ever have. You know, it depends on how you interpret how time expanded, some say 15 billion years, but there's ways through gravitational time dilation and other ways that you can make time move in an alternate way um, through history and still have the history of the earth for those of you interested in that kind of thing. But let me just say this, is that there's a third heaven he's talking about. This third heaven is not a physical place within the decaying universe. It's a place not of the universe. That means when you get there, you won't be able to pull out your protractor and your electron microscope and go, oh, this is just you know, special particles. They're just different kind of particles. No, God is saying it's, it's a beyond what you know. Your perceptive abilities within this realm won't get it. You can't seize it. You can't get an army together and say, let's come to heaven and, and, and conquer it. It is another place. Well, guess what? It is a place of absolute presence of God. There's going to be no stars up there. There's going to be no moon. There's going to be no universe that way. He himself will be that light. He will be the center of it. Amen? How many think this is very good news? See, you think the gospel is all about coming to religion to kind of make God happy or that you make sure that you get a paycheck next week because you tithes first on it. But let me tell you, it's way bigger than that. God is bringing you to himself. He speaks truth. And people 
Sometimes we'll go to this scripture and they go, well, enter through the narrow gate. Is it few or is it many? I don't get it. Not a lot of people come. Enter through the narrow gate. It's a narrow road through Christ. Wide and gate. Wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to disruption. Many go that way. We all walk that way. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Check this out. You have that scripture, which on one hand, it's narrow, it's gate, few find it. And then you have the other side where he's talking to Abraham and he says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. He's saying your descendants who will follow you, the seed of faith, is going to be more than the sands of the seashore. And and you see it in Revelation 7, 9, where it says, there before me was a great multitude. Say it with me. Say, no one could count. One more time. No one could count. I mean, it's kind of like, whoa, that's amazing. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I mean, what a great scripture. And, and you know, sometimes people, because people will say, yeah, but isn't that describing the 144,000? It's like a real limited amount, 144,000. There's 12 tribes with 12,000 people each, so 12 times the 12, 144,000. And it's like, so that's, do you understand that the tribes represent the elect? The tribes mentioned there aren't even the 12 tribes from, from Jacob. They're a mixture. You got, you got some adopted tribes in there. It's a representation. And how do you know that? Because... You look at the scripture right there before it. It says, then I heard. Everyone say, I heard. I heard heard the number. It's like he's having this vision, and he goes, I heard the number. What was the number? 144,000 from all the tribes. I looked, and he says, and I heard the commotion. It was 140. It was the elect. It was the elite. It was the elect. Who are they? And then everyone say, and then I looked. And I looked, and there before me was a multitude that what? One more time? One more time. No one could count. No one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Anyone want to put their hope in Jesus Christ today? Because the road is wide open by the power of God. Jesus sees them, he knows them. Number three, he prepares them. I am going there to prepare a place for you. You know, at the earthly level, you could go, Jesus went to my room, number 225. It's a big room with all kinds of cool stuff. It's got all the jet skis I can never afford. You know what I mean? Or whatever, not jet skis, but you know what I mean. You know, it's got, it's got that motorcycle I always wanted, you know, the 3700. That's a big bike. <laughs> you know, and, and he's preparing that place. Do you know how Jesus prepares a place for you? It's right there on the cross. The, the cross gives you access by removing the consequences of your sin into the very presence of God. It prepares a place for you in paradise. How many say amen? Amen. How many think this is pretty profound? Come on. 
And, and people will say, why do you put a cross on your church? Because it's the most significant thing that there is. There's nothing more significant than that cross. An empty cross. Because Jesus isn't on it anymore. He died, was buried, in three days he was risen again. I'm going there. Listen, I want you to hear the voice of the Lord just for a minute. We can make this very theological. I'm going there to prepare a place for you guys. Or you can go, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. It's personal. This is personal. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. There's, there's going to be a place for you throughout my existence as God. The eternity that I've created, I've created you in the image of God. And I've reconciled you in such a way that my spirit will be in you never to be removed because of the payment and the wrath that I've permanently removed. And because of that, you'll be with me forever. I'm going there. If there wasn't a room for you, I would have just told you. But I tell you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you there before God forever. They shall not perish, but have eternal life. And there shall be no end. How many think this is incredible? Right? If it's absolutely false, it's the greatest story ever, right? I mean, I, I mean, I you know, I'm I'm in the film industry, and I love the whole movie concept of stories and parables and all that stuff. And I love watching people try to find a really significant ending to their story. And I, and I could tell the music's just perfect, and then this movie ends, and I think to myself, not as good as the gospel. But good try. Good try. Oh, you threw sacrifice in there. You had to have that. Because it's going to be an imitation of the gospel. Oh, the, the girl and the guy came together. Yeah, they looked at each other in the eye and said, I'll be there forever. How many know that doesn't always last? They were just trying to say what God actually says and does. Am I ruining movies for you? Oh, well. You can't. I can't. I'm a true movie fan. Okay. Jesus loves them. I love this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you, I'm preparing a place with you, and then as I prepare this place for you, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. And there are scriptures that it says that we're seated within Christ in the heavenly realms. This isn't just a future kingdom thing. Yes, it will be consummated. Okay? There's a consummation that will be fulfilled. I am saved. I'm being saved. And I will be saved. Those aren't meant to be if statements they're meant to give me security and this is why he makes it this way 
I'm going there, I'm preparing a place for you, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. This is good news, amen? This is God saying, I'm rescuing you, and trust me, it's like every detail. I'm going over there, and I'm going to get it all ready. The cross is going to prepare the way for you to be with me infinitely. And then I'm going to come back. The Holy Spirit's going to be deposited in you. He's going to be the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I'm going to put him in you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then I will physically come back or you'll die and be with me. To be absent from the body will be to be present with the Lord. And we don't know how time works in heaven. There's a possibility that we can all enter heaven at the same time. Because of the fact that just because we experience time doesn't mean that another person doesn't experience the same. The time disappears for them just like it did for a guy 300 years ago. That's a total theory. Throw it away. But it is interesting. How can we know the way Jesus mentors them? Number five. When Jesus is standing right in front of you and you're going, well, I don't get it. Show us God. Show us the Father. We want to see where the Father is. You know, the big kahuna. You don't know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time. You know the way to the place where I'm going. You know the way. I've been with you. How long have I been with you? I've been with you every day. You know the way to the place where I'm going. I'm like, oh, what, what do you mean we know it? Like, what's the method? What do, we, what do we read? What do we do? What are we supposed to, I don't understand. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't know it. Jesus leads them. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the life, the life giver. I, I just, it drives me crazy. I was raised with evolution, like die hard, die hard, die hard, you know, to the core evolutionist. And I, you know, I was watching this movie one time and they, and they had this whole picture of the, the WM map of their picture of the timeline of the universe and how it came to be and how this burst of energy kind of did it. That burst of energy to them is this light. Where did the energy come from? Even if you want to follow that scenario, they don't know, but it's not life. Energy is not life. Energy is more sophisticated, is it not? Do you see me? Do I look like just a burst of energy or do I look like I have life? Hallelujah. I have life. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love Jesus because he warns people without weighting them down, without wearing them out like Well, you don't get it. What are you, stupid? No, it's just, you guys, you know. You know the way where this is going. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. (sighs) 
If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Number seven, Jesus sowed them. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Do you think Jesus is equating himself with God here? You want to know the Father? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Look at Philip because he still doesn't get it. Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. How many are you getting something out of this, by the way, before I keep going? How many are getting something out of this? This is the scripture I was telling you that I led that one Muslim to the Lord. I think I've led two Muslims to the Lord with this scripture. Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. It's like, listen, guys, you know the way. How do we, we don't know the way. We don't know where we're going. Yeah, you do. Can you show us the Father? Anyone has seen me has seen the Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. John does, says the same thing at the beginning. He says, no one has seen the Father but the one who's at the begotten one. You know, some in King James is begotten one. It's monogonegus, which is to be the, the same of similar. He's the same gene. He's the same essence. Who is at the Father's side has made him known. And he says here, Philip says, show us the Father and that'll be enough. Just show us him and we'll be at. And then I love Jesus' response. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing his work. I don't sing very often here, but I do write music. I felt like the Lord wanted me to sing it yesterday, but I've been resisting because I don't want to. Because I don't know if I remember all the lyrics, and honestly. But the Lord's just making it clear to me that I'm supposed to, so I'm going to. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. It is the Father living in me who's doing his work. In 28, he says, you heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to me. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father. And the Father is greater than I. When I talked to Lee Kelly the other day, he was saying, telling me, he said, because we, we were talking about heaven and there and faith and all that and just crying together on the phone. He said, I would never want to pull my son out of heaven. He goes, I would never do that to my son. And he goes, and I know he wouldn't want to come because we don't know what kind of recognizance and presence and knowledge that heaven has of us in our day-to-day activity. But I doubt they have less ability than we do now. But they may know where we are. We see the presence of the them standing before the presence of the Lord and getting insight into the spirit they have, you know. 
God is good, amen? This scripture here that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Um, I'm going to have Jody come up and close this when, as I finish the piano, but um, God, I put a lot of this gospel of John to music over the years. This is one that I have put together, so I'm just going to sing it. The truth and the life No one comes to the Father but by me And if you really knew me You would know my Father as well From now on you do know him and have seen to believe that you're really saved. Maybe you struggle to believe that you really have a relationship with the Lord. Or maybe you struggle to even believe the gospel. You struggle to believe that Jesus could die for your sins. This morning I just want to encourage you just to surrender to the Lord. If you've never given your heart to him, you've never completely just surrendered to him, 
just encourage you to raise your hand and acknowledge, just say, I need you, Lord. Lord, I have never acknowledged you before. Just encourage you to just surrender to him, give yourself fully to him this morning. If there are those of you who are resistant, you know that the Lord's calling you to surrender and you just feel like you can't. Today is the day of your salvation. You can surrender to him. Or if those of you who just, you, you doubt, you just keep thinking, I just don't know if I'm saved. Just encourage you at the end, come up and talk to one of these guys. They will pray for you. Or if you're struggling right now with what's, what's happened with Thayer and with the Kelly family, The Lord is here. The Lord is available to comfort you. So let's just close in prayer. Lord, we surrender to you this morning. We thank you that all your ways are good. Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of sorrow and mourning, that your peace is available. Lord, not as the world gives, but the peace that comes only from you the God of all comfort. We love you, Lord, and we speak blessings again on Lee and Mary and Makia Kelly and their family. In the name of Jesus.